Hey, group chat. I know y'all see my text. There's tea to be spilled. Each week, we're bringing you our unfiltered take on culture, news, dating, and our lives as Black millennial women. We're coming to y'all with the honesty and eye rolls that only a text chain with your girls can. This is Black Girls Texting with Chelsea, Glenn, and Shade. Black Girls Texting. This is the Blickety Black, Blickety Blackety Women's Episode, and it's your girl Shade with the lovely Glenn and Chelsea Pinky. What's Gucci, ladies? <laughs> I love that intro, Shade. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I be coming with the heat. It's your girls. Um, what's going on, ladies? How you feeling? How's your week going? I'm feeling blessed and highly favored. I cannot lie. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Um, so this episode that we just recorded just has me feeling all the feels, very inspired. We're going to share more about our amazing guests. But um, Chelsea has me on Clubhouse in these very interesting conversations that we're going to have to do a whole episode on. Um, But it's a lot talking about American descendants of slavery. Yes. Um, And never really heard about this before. And it has gotten me thinking. And the episode we just recorded has gotten me thinking that I have never really been to the South like that. I don't really like we've we've done New Orleans. My parents live in Florida, which I don't even really count as a South. And I'll I'll hop in and out of Atlanta, but I've never like really spent time in the South around Southern people. Like even when I go to the South, I'm with my friend, my family who's all from Brooklyn or, you know, West Indian. So it's like very different. So I'm very curious to connect with those roots and like mm-hmm. what that even looks like, like yeah. what that even means. So that's so interesting. Yeah. So to, to your point, Shade, the women that we're um, that you all are going to get to hear from, I met one of them. Her name is Michelle Bradder when I was doing this story for Nat Geo. And the name of the story was Southern Roots, R-O-U-T-E-S. But for that same reason, right? Like to understand, like, what is that root? Our roots we in, love a play on words. No, it's just clever. But like, what does that feel like? And I'll tell you from my experience, going to the South is bonkers. Like, Oh my God. Yeah. Like you can feel it. You can feel like the way that we could feel like spirits in New Orleans, Mm -hmm. same thing when I was in Alabama, but also you can feel like all of this history because so much happened there. Um, It's wild. Yeah. My grandpa talks about going down to Alabama when he was a kid and like, it was a completely different world for him. And I'm like, what? You were you went down there? Like, what? This is crazy. So I want to go to Alabama like that. We got to go. I say all that to say we got to go. And that's my check in. Things are doing well. It's still dry out here. Niggas are trash. You know what? I'm not going to do that. It's not dry. I'm not going to do that because it's what I'm not. (laughs) I'm not going to do that because we just said we are not niggas, hoes and bitches. Um, And not all black men are trash, but some of you men are trash. They're just misinformed and young. 
Yes. So, you know, we, we just we just trying to find the black kings out here. Where y'all at? Where y'all Correct. at? Um, well, <laughs> shut out your nuts. Um, to your point about history, I binge watched like four episodes back to back of Lovecraft Country. Don't Finally. Get, I was going to say, yeah. I, I was surprised Chelsea to... wasn't cursing you out. I okay, know. so we're going to do an ep- our next episode is Lovecraft Country. Bet. Okay. Perfect. Yeah, because I, I just wasn't ready, y'all. And I was watching a whole lot of things. Had to and the first episode really threw me off when the monsters came out. I'm not really a sci-fi kind of girl. Um, I don't like but that was one of the best pilots ever. No, it was amazing until the end. I was like, whoa, what the fuck is going on? It really threw me off. Um, but I think the show is phenomenal i'm obsessed phenomenal with for so many reasons yeah she finally tapped in finally um okay so we have to do an episode about that i don't even want to ask you too many questions now but we have to um but yeah i've been on clubhouse also it's like a very addicting app i just got another invite they keep giving me random invites i'm like like i'm nervous about who to invite like i want to invite this one person in particular who happens to be a white man because he he's a really great, I like talking to him, but I'm like, shit, I don't want him to say something crazy. And then it says invited by Chelsea. You know what I'm saying? Oh, that's true. Yeah. It's kind of like, like you have to know who, like I have by someone, somebody was talking know. crazy and I saw who invited them and I was like, what? That's the homie. Oh dear. Yeah. It's like, it's not a good look. Um, so I've been on that, but I also have been watching this show called Industry and I finished it. And that's another one, Glenn. Up next, watch Industry. When I okay. finish The Crown, I'm doing, I think I'm going to do Industry and then The Undoing. I think that's the order oh, I'm going to do. Okay. I'm doing it. Yeah, yeah I'm, the Undoing I, I'm is, Industry. it's a glorified soap opera, but um, yes. Yes. <laughs> Come on, Charles Pinky with the reviews. No, because <laughs> your girl be knowing. I will say, it's a I'll give you soap that, Chelsea. <laughs> I'm sure it is, which is my shit. I mean, I actually enjoy real yes, soap it's operas, good. so I'm sure I'm the acting be like, is. Mm. I mean, the actors in that are a one. So okay, okay. Um, so is anybody making your hotline bling this week? <laughs> I guess my mom, because she's been asking me about when am I going to get my Christmas tree and decorate for the holidays and be a grown-up so today after this we're gonna go to like the christmas tree farm in brooklyn and like get all these things that is so yes, good mom get make that tree. hotline bling and get you together mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i'm here for that girl my phone is dry i'm over here looking through it like it's dry wait where the baby daddy at it's dry girl what happened to your the step family <laughs> i mean the, uh, not spicy i mean that's like a yeah there's no like new exciting texts really because you don't engage with new exciting people mm, damn yeah i mean I yeah what i said I, as I, I you know i have these people in my phone but i just like don't i forget to reply to them i'm leaving them on red I would not want to date you. I know it's bad. I, if I really like fuck with you, I will. I will write that quick. Quickly <laughs> reply. Quick. <laughs> but you I mean, have to give somebody a want. chance to see. I, I think she's very quick on the. 
the scale of if I fuck with you or not. There's it's not true. very there's not much time to even like get in the middle. It's like, like oh, red flag. Nope. Right. You're like a zero <laughs> or a ten. Hey, we'll see if the method works. <laughs> Cause it could. It could be a very good method. Like quickly get to it. Yeah. True. When you know, you know. Sometimes you know. This yeah. is this is true. Uh, not lying. Not lying. I mean, listen, we're just out here, three black women thriving, trying to make make it work in this in these dark days. So. Yes, ma'am. My good sis, that's a black girl doing shit. All right, so I got a black girl doing things. Ooh. Yes. Um, this week I want to honor Octavia Butler. We were just talking about Lovecraft Country. Um, Octavia Butler was a writer, author, um, considered the mother of Afrofuturism, which as I was watching Lovecraft Country, I'm like, oh my God, this is hella Afrofuturist. Yeah, we're going to see a lot more. I know, I bet it's going to get crazy. For y'all that don't know, Afrofuturism is a movement in literature, music, and art featuring a futuristic um, or science fiction themes that incorporate elements of Black history and culture. Um, so Octavia Butler, she wrote this book called Parable of the Sower, which, um, came out like 27 years ago, but recently just arrived back on the New York Times bestsellers list because people are looking at the book as a reflection of our modern times. Like she literally predicted what would happen. Like in the story, there's some crazy ass man that comes into the presidency. I don't know exactly the details, so I won't quote it exactly. But the thing I love the most about Octavia Butler, like recently I was revisiting her journals. Um, She was like an avid journalist and she was super into manifestation. Um, And she would write these lists of all the things that she wanted to achieve. And we're coming up on the new year and I'm thinking like, should I need to do like my manifestation list? I haven't like manifested things in a really long time, but I wanted to read from this one, manifestation list that she wrote like you can see for the ladies oh damn no can you see it I'm trying to do my oh there we go the makeup trick so she's literally writing on like lined paper and stuff and it says we should yeah absolutely it says I'm a best-selling writer I write best-selling books and excellent short stories both books and short stories win prizes and awards every day in every way I'm researching and writing my award-winning best-selling books and short stories Maybe as I'm reading this, I'll just point out some things. I love that she's just like rewriting the same thing over and over and over. Yes, ma'am. Because that repetition is so important. She says, every one of my books reaches and remains for two and more months at the top of the best of bestsellers lists of Publishers Weekly, The Washington Post, The New York Times, The Los Angeles Times, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So be it. So see to it. For my own excellent Santa Monica home, this is my favorite part, that is mine free and clear, and that I am always able to maintain and pay all taxes on without effort, for my, for my own and my mama's excellent health care, for my own free and clear personal fortune of $10 million, for my own $20 million scholarship fund for striving Black people, so be it, see to it. I'm so obsessed with it. Let's fucking go. That's so cool. How powerful. And and now 27 years later, her book is back on the New York Times bestsellers list. Girl, so I almost it. just bought it on Amazon and I had to check myself and I unclicked the link and I wrote it down and I'm going to take my ass to a little black bookstore yes. and buy the book. Because I almost clicked the button and then I said, no, stop <laughs> doing the devil's work. <laughs> 
Do better, Shade. <laughs> we gotta unlearn. We gotta unlearn here, okay? Yes. Okay. And then I guess that can we would be the interview? And then the what would you do? Well, can we also make the ladies that we just spoke to more can we have two additional black girls yes 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 yes. so in addition to octavia glennifer Mm -hmm. who else are black girls doing shit oh my god our black girls doing shit this week are also miss michelle browder and Miss Deliso Alford, who you are getting ready to hear from. So Michelle Browder is the founder of, I would call it an organization. It is a tour company, um, but it's called More Than Tours, aptly, because what they do is much more than give people tours. It's, she's based in Montgomery, Alabama. Um, she calls More Than Tours a social enterprise. It's founded out of the necessity to expose students and mature travelers to Alabama's rich history. Um, Michelle is also an artist. Um, she's a thought leader, an educator, um, and she's working on this really exciting project in Montgomery to um, to uplift and shine a light on the stories of these women named Anarka, Betsy, and Lucy, who are the mothers of gynecology, of American gynecology. Um, and in her work, she's working along with a woman named Deliso Alford, uh, who is a professor of law at Southern University Law Center. She's a recognized thought leader in critical race feminist theory. Um, and she has been lecturing on the her story of Anarka, Betsy, and Lucy, both domestically and abroad. So we honor them today. You're getting ready to hear from them. They're going to tell us about these important women whose names we should be saying all the time and remembering. And yeah. Let's go. You're in for a treat. Boom. On red or reply. All right. So we are here with Deliso and Michelle. Um, so excited to talk to you ladies. But before we can even hop into the group chat, we have to play on red or reply, which is a game that we always play with our guests. So when you get a text message, I don't know if y'all know or if you do this type of behavior. Um, if someone sends you something that's just kind of ridiculous, you might just leave it on red, which means you would just not reply to it at all, right? Or if it's something that you're here for or you want to engage the conversation, you would reply. Um, so with these topics I'm going to give you, tell us if you would leave these topics on red, like you're not here for them at all, or would you reply like you're feeling it, you're into this, this thing, okay? So, um, and you can tell us why. The first one is the removal of monuments depicting, be it slave owners or um, army generals. soldiers. Exactly. Um, thoughts on red or reply? Red or reply? On red or reply? Like, are you replying to it? Like, you approve on red or for me? Them? On red. It's on okay. red, removing them. Is I mean, on oh, red. I'm replying. I'm replying. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Replying. Replying. I'm definitely replying. Why Actually, do you think why is it important to remove them? I'll let you ladies take that before I tell my little story. Yeah. Michelle I know why, but for our listeners, why is it, imp- why is it important? Well, Michelle, did you say that you replied to removing them or that's on red? Like you think we that's should keep them up? Yeah, say more. Why is that on red? So for me, it's on red because 
it seems like the more we talk about these things, sometimes people are just aren't listening. You know, it's, you can talk almost to your blue in the face. And you, did you all not notice that during George Floyd, everybody called you, all of your friends or white friends, or, you know, just started calling and texting, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? What can I do? And so I was just taking a different position because I live in the heart of the South. And it's like, you know what? I'm gonna put that on red because I'm busy trying to elevate the voices of women who actually made the difference, you know, and that's the Anarcha Lucy and Betsy story. So I'm gonna put you on red and then I'm gonna respond to you later with a monument that's in your face that's gonna force you to, you know, reckon with this history. So red. Yeah, I feel Interesting. that. Hey, I, I have a, a take on the removal and um, the removal particularly as to the statute, Dr. J. Marion Sims, uh, the father, Harold tradition is the father of gynecology. But as Michelle has so eloquently stated, we will have to address that in its, in its totality. And that's where I come in. Um, as a law professor who is integrating um, stories, uh, what I call her stories, uh, the unique and particularized experiences of women of color with healthcare. So Anarcho Betts and Lucy falls in that category. And so what I have done uh, with, my, with my work and with my uh, scholarship is to is to weigh in on this removal. And the way that I weighed in uh, was in an article in uh, Hastings Journal, uh, Hastings Bioethics Forum, in which I stated that during this time of removal um, of the statutes such as Dr. J. Marion Sims, that removal alone is not enough. Uh, yeah. It's not, uh, it will not effectively address the depth and the present day impact of racism generally and the existing disparities in healthcare and research specifically. So to say, just to remove the edifice is sufficient, my take on it is it's not enough. And what I position myself as, as a law professor who's able to integrate these stories, these her stories into medical curriculum, I'm suggesting that medical schools are in the best position to make the difference by including curricular content that examines these conflicting narratives about Dr. J. Mary Sims. And the conflict really lies in the denial of, the, of what happened to Anarcha Betsy and Lucy. And I think that'll weigh into, that's a segue for you, Michelle, like open the door. <laughs> yes, well. Happened to Anarcha Betsy and Lucy. That's mm -hmm. the way in. So now can you reply? <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. We're going to get all into that too. Um, but I appreciate both of your uh, your takes on the removal of the statues. And I, and I pretty much agree. I think that... Um, symbols become ways to pacify us sometimes mm. so if, if a statue is removed people might go out in the street and start celebrating it and without re remembering that there's next steps but Shadi and Chelsea it seemed like you had some more to say too on the topic so I was in this conversation the other day that talked about um spirituality and like the yeah. concepts of veneration so when we have so many like streets and 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 schools this is 
way different than the statues, but I feel like it's all interconnected, named after like former slave owners and Confederates. And we're saying their names every day when we're crossing the street or crossing a bridge or going into that school building. Like that's venerating and praising the ancestors in a way, these are bad ancestors, (laughs) in a way that like continues to give them power in a sense. And I didn't even think about that. Like there's so much power into speaking these names and saying these names. And I want to say more of my people's names and stop saying these slave owners names. I was telling them the other day, I was like, when I'm crossing the bridge, I'm going to be like, I'm on that white slave owners bridge. (laughs) I'm not going to be like, I'm on the GW bridge. Yeah. Yo, yeah. I love that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's, that's owning. That's the power. That that's the power that we have. Yes. That's great. Yeah, I totally agree with everything that was said. I think it is like, you know, if you want to start talking about reparations, I think that is one piece of it. I think that needs mm. to be a part of the whole um, you know, kind of payback that is owed. Oh my god, Chelsea, my next on matter reply is reparations. Well, you know we're replying. <laughs> yeah, I'm replying. <laughs> Run me my check. <laughs> How do y'all feel about reparations? I I, I think I have the the um, I'm of the position that the, a check alone could never compensate what happened to us as a people. Mm-hmm. And um, I am a, comp- uh, a, a real uh, advocate that it needs to be assessed. I think the lack of understanding what actually happened to us on so many levels helps keep the conversation in. We can't count it up. Well, we can count it up. We can qualify it. But what, we, what I like to do is to think about what can I do? What can I do with when and where I stand? And um, as an educator, I'm suggesting that there is this component of educational reparations. How can you repair the educational damage in the curriculum, in the names of the buildings, in the uh, ability to talk to the, the students about what happened? There's some repair, there's emotional repair that can be done that we can do uh, without uh, congressional uh, approval. Okay, there's some things that we can do on a localized level. So I I like to think about that big area of what are we repairing? It's emotional, it's spiritual. So that's my take Mm. on it. Yeah. Well, I would have to channel the energy of Dr. King when he said, we're coming to Washington to get our check. Y'all remember that? Yes. (laughs) And here we are almost 50 years later and we still ain't got no check. No chance. And history has shown us through, you know, Atlanta Massacre and Greenwood and um, Rosewood and, you know, just what has happened when Black folks and people of color, when they have their own, right? So what does reparations look like? That's, I've been asked the question several times. To me, it looks like giving me access to the table because for so long we have been denied access to the table where that, what is it, 1%? You know the, those folks who um, who have the money, uh, yes. or is it ten percent or ten percent of the wealth of, of this country? Give me access because basically I really don't need you to give me anything but a fair and equal accessibility. Prime example. Can I just give you like an example of where I'm coming from with that? Um, I had an opportunity to talk to to uh, Chase Bank, um, Jamie Dimon. He was on my tour, 
and he starts asking me questions about reparations. I said, you know, at this point in time where we are now, you know, that how, how are we going to qualify that? So my reparations to me would be if I go and apply for a, uh, a loan as a black woman in business for three years and I'm thriving and you can see that my checking account is saying that I'm trustworthy, I pay my bills, then for me, reparations would be give me access to the same treatment. 45 just had COVID. You had access to quality health care. Right, free hair care. To me, that's reparations. Right. You, you know right. what I'm saying? So it's like, I just feel like you know, there's so many forms of reparations that we can um, kind of, you know, have the discussion around. But for me, and for you know what I stand for in terms of racial justice, reparations to me looks like access to the table, just like everyone else. Just like if I was, you know, an Oprah Winfrey or. Um, a, you know, some of these top um, mm. bill folks, you know, they have access. So that's what I believe in reparations, but maybe not in my lifetime. Maybe you all will see it because, you know, mm. you're coming up behind us and you're, you're having these truthful conversations. They weren't having these conversations 10 right. years ago. Right. About, but now Dr. King did. Mm. Right. And it got him killed. Mm. So I don't know. I just have a different take because I look at history and uh, those that had their own Mm -hmm. Their cities were bombed. You understand? Their children were that were mutilated. Um, so I just I don't mean to get too deep, but that's oh, just where yeah. I am. I, I think you're absolutely correct in terms of the the definition of reparation has to be broadened so that we can have a, a more uh, a, 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 a transparent conversation about it. As long as we have conversations that's already defined, then we'll never win. In, in, the, in the in that conversation to have honest dialogue you have to hear the different perspectives as what does reparations mean to me so that's excellent with um mm -hmm. broaden that definition of reparation and own it and can i say one more thing galen yeah. reparations right now looks to me let go some of those two million men that are disproportionately in prison for selling right. a little bit of weed absolutely let them go Absolutely. That's what reparations look like to me. You feel me? Mm -hmm. yeah. so anyway, those that are wrongly convicted. We, we have um, a gentleman here that was wrongly convicted that Brian Stevenson uh, argued and was able to get him out of prison. Um, 30 years in prison and they still won't give him any money. Right. The, the state refuses because that's an admission of guilt. That's what reparations look yeah, like. That's, that's, that's what reparations is. Right. Like a, an admission of guilt overall, I think. Yeah. Right? yeah. We're owed. Because we yes. were wronged. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I yeah. think it, it's like, as you guys said, it's like multi pronged. Yes. Like reparations yeah. is not just a check, although I think a check is also owed. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. I think a, another piece I was reading about reparations, they were saying that the government also needs to like publicly apologize and also like make a vow that it will never happen again and like yeah. have that written somewhere in our yeah. in the fabric of the country as well so that's even another piece yeah and i think that the, the what you stated about the fabric of the country it is so important right now because of what this country has undergone and going through right now we're going to have to look at the fabric of the country, what do we want to be? 
who are we now and what do we want to be? Because it's, we are the history right now. We are living a history in which your grandchildren, children, children will read about. And to be experiencing that now, uh, as I like to say, woke, right? At this time, it's, it's just phenomenal. And, and, and your generation, and I wanna just thank you, you are leading us. You are leading us and challenging us. And that's what is so important right now. So I, I'm just glad to be a part of it, to see this. <clears throat> Yes, yes. Not to take us on a full tangent, but this is just a thought um, based on what Chelsea had said. I was watching, oh, I'm watching The Crown and um, it shows a lot about like Germany and the history of like Nazi Germany and that integrated with the um, with Britain and like their um, monarchy. And it's so interesting because like, I feel like they definitely still have work to do but in terms of the way that they look at the holocaust it's acknowledged it's incorporated in history it's openly talked about it's not like this hush hush thing i wonder if that is what helps like there isn't this hidden thing of like oh well that was however many years ago yes, absolutely it's, it's not a big deal like they open at least germans that i've been around openly talk about it there's dialogue around it and to chelsea's okay. point there is this like open shame of like this will never happen again this was not okay mm -hmm. because I'm like not too long ago I'm watching the show it's like 1957 people are walking around with swaps of Kazan and it's madness and I'm like how did they change the whole climate of their country like this like this is crazy we still ain't there I have an answer can I have a, I have yeah an answer a yeah acknowledgement acknowledgement and what the United States has to do is to acknowledge the racism in order to move forward. You can't move forward without acknowledging. And I think that's a great segue to, I think what Michelle is doing with this project in terms of acknowledging the existence of Anarcha Betsy and Lucy in the telling, the truth telling of the development of gynecology in the United States. How do you do that? And how do you do it from her, from the visual artistic uh, re representation that allows not the removal, but the building of a point of reverence. And so uh, that is what I would like to add to, I think what Michelle's project is about, yes. acknowledging the racism. Yes, yes. I have a couple more questions and one more on Reddit reply. The last on Reddit reply is, Lovecraft Country, are y'all? <laughs> For those who Michelle cannot see, out. Michelle just fell <laughs> Michelle out. Michelle just disappeared in her background. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, y'all, Holy Ghost. Let me tell you that. Yes, I'm sorry. What was the question? Yeah. <laughs> you you answered that text. <laughs> yeah, like they are on it. Uh, as it relates to you know storytelling through whether it's sci-fi or um, all of this creative uh, imagery, yeah, and I guess you know that they talked about Antarctica. Yes, they did. Bringing her into the story, bringing her spirit alive. So there's like this synergy. There's something happening right now. Um, I know I started researching Antarctica like 
maybe 10 years ago. And then when I talked to other people who have done researches on, on these women, it was about the same time all of us started this energy or started uh, heeding the call of the ancestors. And to see Lovecraft Country um, talk about um, her story. And I think they talked about Lucy too, am I correct? They all three like, names. They were like conjured. Did they, did they, I miss Betsy yes. I thought they missed her. I know, I thought so too. And then later when she like calls all of these ancestors to help her like release this, this doctor, she calls yes. upon Anarka, Lucy and Betsy. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah, so yes. cool. Deliso, have you seen the show? No. Okay. That is a reply that, but that's on my list. And Michelle told me about it. I knew of it, but I have to, I have to put that, but I have an admission. I don't watch much television, but that's okay. I'm going to watch this. <laughs> no, yes. don't worry. I literally started watching it yesterday and I started really? being okay. so many episodes okay. and Chelsea has <laughs> been telling me forever. And I, was I don't like, feel bad. I don't feel so bad. <laughs> yes. It's bad. never too late. Okay. Um, so on that note, let's get into the group chat. All right, y'all. It's time for the group chat. Um, we have been saying the names of these ladies throughout our conversation, Anarka, Lucy, and Betsy. I was hoping, Deliso, first, if you could just tell us, for our listeners who don't know much about their stories and Marion Sims, what happened to these women? Why are they so important? Um, yeah. Okay. Um, Anarka, Betsy, and Lucy are three named enslaved women uh, in Montgomery, Alabama, approximately 1845 to 1849. So remember those names, but also acknowledge that there were at least six or seven unnamed other women who were subjected to repetitive experimental surgeries to close openings between their vagina and bladder without anesthesia to dose the pain. <laughs> now I'm gonna, I, I wanted to say it slowly to, 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 to hear what I'm suggesting. These yes. women suffered uh, from a medical condition called vesicovaginal fistula. And that is tears from the, tears between the vagina and the urinary tract or bladder, which allows urine to flow uncontrollably. And this was done often at the experience of difficult childbirth. Now, I want to contextualize that with 1845 to 1849 U.S. enslavement. As we talked about broadening the conversation of reparation, I, I have, am a, a proponent of broadening the conversation of U.S. enslavement and its unique impact on black women. There's a book, uh, Enslaved Women in America, an encyclopedia. I'm a senior editor on it, but Dana, Dana Ramey Berry is the editor in chief. And from A to Z through this encyclopedia, we looked at how enslavement particularly impacted women differently. So if you think about women, enslaved women, their role was as a breeder, breeder women, to have children, to bear children, who would carry the legal status of their enslaved mother. As a result, there are health consequences to bearing children. Here lies Anarchabest and Lucy and the other unnamed women. They were young. Their bodies were not at an age of, of maturation 
So reportedly, due to, due to Dr. J. Marion Sims' memoirs, the reason we know their names are Narcobets and Lucy is because he wrote about them and he aged them at 17, 17 years, or years old. But they experienced this fistula, vesicovaginal fistula after birth a child, birthing children or attempting to birth a child. So there lies the context for a breeder woman, the unique impact of enslavement on black women beyond chattel labor. We usually think about enslavement as free labor. I wanna contextualize that beyond to medical advancements and particularly the development of the medical specialty of US gynecology. Why? And Narcobest and Lucy's importance is because it is upon their bodies that Dr. J. Miriam Sims is heralded as the father of gynecology. He was even called historically the, the architect of the vagina. But uh, when you look at, when you use uh, a framework, critical race theory and critical race feminist theory framework, it allows you to ask the question and upon whose body? And so this gain, this medical advancement of, uh, of, of, of gynecology, it yielded what we talked about. I, I did listen to your, your podcast on pap smears uh, with the, with the uh, Dr. Sade, uh, and she talked about pap smears. The gynecologist uses a speculum. The modern day speculum that we use today was developed by Dr. J. Marion Sims on the bodies of these enslaved women. Yes. So their historical context of how we exist today as women, all women, mm -hmm. must be rechanneled back to the reverence of Anarcha, Bessie, and Lucy, because Dr. J. Marion Sims not only developed uh, the smarter speculum, he's also heralded for the self-retaining catheter, uh, in a, other medical innovations that are used today. So this whole reproductive specialty, uh, medical specialty of gynecology should give reference back to Anarchabet St. Lucy. And uh, there's a historian, Deidre Collins Owens, she wrote a, her recent book on medical uh, reproductive medical bondage. She says, these women, are the women, the mothers of gynecology that we should reference. And so I think with that context, we need to move forward with understanding in what ways can we convey our reverence. And I, I wanna just say from my stance uh, as a law professor, I've been able to integrate that her story uh, amongst other her stories to medical schools in their curriculum. So uh, University of Central Florida Medical College, uh, College of Medicine has in their curriculum for the fourth year medical students and OBGYN residents, this narrative of Anarchobest and Lucy before they go out on and, and practice on our present bodies. They acknowledge the past bodies because what I'm suggesting is that his historical context matters in history. And if we can train this next generation of OBGYN and healthcare professionals about this her story, then they will be better equipped and culturally competent to deal with our present bodies. 
Right. Yeah. Sounds great. Yeah, I think that's that's so important. I was talking to my friend who she's now a nurse and we were talking about like racism in the medical system because now you see all this stuff about black women, you know, dying during childbirth at like disgusting rates. Um and she was telling me that in her mind you she became a nurse I want to say maybe 2018 and she so it's like fairly recent right Mm -hmm. um and there's like a whole chapter and it's called cultural considerations and it was so racist it's like about black people and their pain tolerance it's like black people being late to appointments so like give them a different kind of time it's like all this stuff and I'm like to me no I'm dead black people are late to their appointments is in the like the training it doesn't say late but it says be mindful of like the time the appointments and giving space for uh, arriving late whatever okay um but i'm like well do they talk about like all the experiments that they did on black people and like all of that stuff that's nowhere to be found mm. yeah I- but that, that's just if those are biases that are that are embedded in that system that have to be addressed so yeah that's- yeah but chelsea you raised something that i wondered if if Deliso, you could expand on this idea that Black people, Black women specifically, don't feel pain um, within the medical context. Um, yeah. It, it is a race-based science. Uh, during U.S. enslavement, it became a part of the racial norm that Black people didn't had a higher tolerance for pain. That's why this the, the so-called experiments on Anarchabest and Lucy was done without anesthesia and without any thought about it because they were believed to have this higher tolerance. The tragedy that is that I'm about to say now is that it still exists. A recent study, 2016 University of Virginia researchers are stating that it's in medical schools, it still persists that there's a belief that Blacks have a higher tolerance for pain. And there's re- continuous research that suggests that Blacks are undertreated for their level of pain. And so how to offset that? And, and that's where I think uh, uh, there's a movement. There is a movement to integrate in the training how biased and racist that is. And that, and that, and that we have to address it with those individuals who will have the power to act as, as medical professionals. And so we have to do that training, but, but uh, it exists. That, that, is, that has been, uh, that is why uh, so much, I uh, think, uh, damage is being done and the continuation of healthcare disparities based on these incorrect uh, racial beliefs. And, and back to what I said earlier, acknowledge the racism. Once you acknowledge the racism and integrate it within uh, the, the, the training, then you have the opportunity to at least give people a frame of reference. I've been, I've heard all my life, you cannot uh, train people on empathy. You cannot train them like bedside manners. And my response to that is, but you can provide a venue for exposure. And they may not remember it at that time. They may not even believe it at that time. But I've had uh, students who come back from residency and say, I remembered that. I, I thought about why wasn't I going into the other woman's room more than the uh, one that wasn't screaming, that wasn't on drugs, that wasn't, because it's because they're human. They're human beings. And once we un- understand the humanity, then we understand the need for various ways 
to express our reverence. And I think that's why the, uh, the statue is so important. The, the building of the statue, the, the project is important mm. uh, to revere Anarchabet St. Lucie. And that goes back to that concept of acknowledgement, right? Because if we don't acknowledge these histories and we just act like everything's fine, then we're going to keep moving forward. Like even in my work, I work in tech, we have to take managing biases training. Mm -hmm. And it's literally like courses on you maybe not realizing that the way you may have interviewed that black man versus that white man or that white woman or that Asian woman is impacting your thought processes on hiring, your thought processes on the way that you're engaging with your coworkers. And we can't just be like, I'm not a racist. No, like it's embedded in so much of our history, our society. We have to have the conversations and acknowledge it. And you may have to say, wow, that behavior that I was, I was enacting is prejudice, is racist. And, and people are very afraid to say, the R word. <laughs> yes, yes. yes, I have this whole segment, how to get people to see what they don't want to say. How to get people to see what they don't want to say. And and uh, uh, now, Michelle, I'm calling on you like, like, uh, like you're in the classroom. Michelle Broder, how do you get people to see what they don't want to say? You build it. You build it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. What are you building? That's, that's the, you know. Wow. Yeah. All right, y'all. It's time for so, the chat. Michelle, tell us about this project you're working on in Montgomery. Well, this is a project that, uh, so first, can I just introduce myself as an artist, an activist, uh, an amplifier, and a rebel. I just, there's just no other way to. So uh, basically, I've taken some ideas around slave narratives. Um, and just listening to what I feel is the unction and the calling to erect these three women, Anarcha, Lucy, and Betsy. And there was actually about 11 of them, um, but Anarcha, Lucy, and Betsy, uh, Anarcha in particular, suffered under the knife at least 30 times, that's noted. So, um, so basically I've, I've consulted with some friends of mine. I'm like, you know, are y'all gonna stand with me on this? Because sometimes when I do things here in Montgomery, it's not welcomed, um, outcast, you know what I'm saying? Any, anytime you start having real life conversations about what's happening in our country and with racism and, and these systemic, uh, the biases that we just talked about, that Chelsea just talked about, you're gonna be ostracized. But now in the age of George Floyd, to be woke is is popular, you know? We pop it, we drip it with the knowledge. So. I just want to use art history and conversation, which is the basis and the pillars of my youth organization, which is I am more than, and I'd say this y'all. And if you know, if you get offended, I'm sorry, but we are not niggas, bitches and hoes. And this is one, one statue that is embodies that sentiment that these women were women forced into experimentation. They were not fit for duty at the times of their um, their forced their experiments. And so I just, I'm trying to elevate their voices by putting up a, a monument. And I like to say a public art versus a monument. I got, you gotta be careful at, um, at, the, at the, uh, the, you know, the wording of what we're trying to do. It's public art. And in that art, uh, some of it is controversial. Did you see, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna switch this way. You see the opening there? 
um, that's where, you know, those were the, the fistulas, right? And so I, I was uh, designing the piece and I sent it to a, a white colleague of mine. And she says, well, that red, uh, it just does something to me. I don't think that you need to incorporate this in your websites or in your designs. And I said, why is that? She said, it makes me feel uncomfortable. I said, good, we're gonna stick with the red because I want you to feel uncomfortable. This is not about you. This is about what these women and what enslaved African women and our, their descendants, which means you, me, and I don't know if you were descendant of slaves or just black women in general. This is where we are today. Let's talk about Serena Williams. Serena said, something's wrong with me. She's talking to her and this woman has money and her doctors didn't listen to her. Thank God she had enough sense to say, uh-uh, I need a second opinion because we would have lost Serena. You talked about the death and mortality rates with children. And so, so that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to elevate the voices, not only of these women, but to force people to reckon with the history and to pay homage to the black woman. Because mm -hmm. now every woman that has had a pap smear that has, um, you know, the spoon and the Sims retractor, if you've had any kind of medical treatment as it relates to your healthcare uh, regarding your vaginal area, you owe Anarcha Lucy and Betsy. Yeah, I was just having this, this feeling like, damn, when I go to have my like womanly exam, it's, it, it that will not, not be in my mind, Yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, and I kind of wanted to zoom out a little bit, Michelle, and talk about just your work as a historian in general um, and so all of the all of the work that you're doing in Montgomery to show people what they're not seeing, right? I was mm -hmm. so struck by when I took your tour, um, this like uh, timeline of Montgomery's history that says mm -hmm. that this, that the city really started to boom off of commerce, but it doesn't state what that commerce was. Like there's mm -hmm. literally an erasure happening of us, yeah. and I. To me, your work is about bringing those na narratives back and amplifying mm -hmm. them. Um, mm -hmm. But I just wondered if you could talk to us about, I guess, the importance of history and maybe for specifically for, for Black folks, like what it does for us to know our history, but mm -hmm. also when you're like educating white folks about history, what potential that has um, to, to inform their like anti-racist practice. And we kind of spoke about that already, but... Mm -hmm. Yeah, so 95% of my tours are with white folk. And, you know, when the history hits you, when the truth hits you about behind the history, because yes, yes, there's a lot of history here in Montgomery, Alabama, but when you make it plain and when you show that the actual savages during that time were white folk, that, you know, even in your Christianity, and I'm a believer, but even in that and how tools were used to um, discredit, to dehumanize, to marginalize Black folks. We weren't the ones that was running out bombing churches and lynching folks. You know, when you put it in that type of context, and the first thing I say to people is, you know, first, I'm a creative, I'm a creative. So if this history bothers you, then how are you going to erase it? It's in your books, you know, when you talk about the White Citizens Council. I just try to make it really, really plain and to show people that we were not the savages. We were not the ones that were out burning and mutilating people and hanging them in trees and, you know, just calling them these names or labeling folks. Um, and so once you put it into that context and you have to be strong enough because some, I had one gentleman that said, I didn't sign up for no history tour 
I was like, well, you got to get one because when you come to Montgomery, you cannot come here and not talk about indigenous people and the fact that they were displaced, that they were pushed off of their own land. Can't do it. Can't talk about the Civil War. Can't, you know, without talking about tariff states rights and, you know, Northern aggression. And of course the commerce, which was the black gold that we um, talk about enslaved people. Uh, so I just tried to be creative and, and to make it as palatable and hope and with hopes of not losing anyone, but to tell the person the truth. And I have seen some, um, the descendants of the sons of the Confederacy. I had this one white man who wept. By the time we got to James Marion Sims at our state's capital, which, you know, this man and his wife began to weep to the point where I was weeping and the other passengers, and I get a little teary-eyed today because he said, he looked like Colonel Sanders. He looked like one of those guys. When I say deep into the Confederacy, this brother was like my uncle and my, you know, my whole family fought in the Confederacy. And he said, I've never heard this history like this before. He said, we were just taught one way, which was the North was coming in to, to dictate to us how we're going to, you know, how we're gonna live as Southerners. He said, no one told me that, you know, that we the gone with the wind. I just all we know is gone with the wind, right? So when, and that's why we have the red glasses because I want you to see this thing differently. Uh, and so as an artist, I'm grateful for the creativity where I'm able to put people in the shoes of not only the angry white man that stood at my father's front door and burned a cross in his yard, but to also bring it home to the biases that we're having to grapple with today. Like she said about the hiring practices and how we, you know, and the first thing I tell people is that I'm prejudiced. I'm not, I have my biases. You know what I'm saying? I don't understand white folks. I'm just going to, and I tell people that I don't understand how you all cannot see where black lives matter. People get upset, especially white people. They're like black lives matter. That's a, oh no, 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 no. That's what we did in history to, to the black Panther party. And initially they were trying to just feed people. They were right. trying to make sure that their people had a place to stay right. and that their children had adequate health care and food. And, but yet it was the government that demonized it. So now we're black and black guys like, well, let me show you where black lives mattered when your babies needed to be tended to during slavery. You went and got the mammy to nurse your baby. Now, what kind of mess is that? And I talked to them just like that. Who goes and gets a black woman that you deem less than human to give suck to your newborn baby? How crazy is that? You understand what I'm saying? So I tried to just use what has already been done and how it's still being done, your nannies, right? The people, your domestic workers, even today that you deem unworthy, but yet you can't get a tomato without them. Right. You understand what I'm trying to tell you? Right. So how crazy is that? So, you know, and so that's a growing theme on my tours. It's like, we have to show people. And once yeah. the eyes, once their eyes are enlightened, once that heart is pricked, and that's initially, the least, so you know, that's the first thing I cry out for when I tell people to put on the, take off your biases. Let's look at this thing through a whole different lens. Mm -hmm. I had this one gentleman who's uh, fairly wealthy and I gave him the tour. I don't care, you know, it's, you know, you're only paying for the tour. So what else are you going to do? So he came up to me afterwards. And when we talked about the enslavement of African people and how they walked from the riverfront, the commerce and how they walked on Commerce Street only to be bought, sold and traded at the exchange, which is in downtown Montgomery, Alabama. He said to me, do you, he says, what do you say to people, white people who feel guilty? He was like, I feel white guilt right now. And I said, as you should, because you're part of the Will family. You're part of the family that own, 
over four sets of of Negroes, you know, over a hundred Negroes on each one of your plantations. That was your family. So here's your reparations. Change your mindset. Mm-hmm. Do something. Help a community. He actually adopted one of my students. He's going to help put them through school. You know what I'm saying? Like, now that your eyes are open, what can you do? Mm-hmm. So that's what we're hoping to do with these um, these truth-telling journeys and the monuments uh, here in Montgomery or the public art is to shift the paradigm and hopefully people will will reckon with the calling to do better that is so amazing and i think about that a lot like we have to walk through life with targets on our backs from literal police brutality to microaggressions to just like Mm. it runs the gamut the least you could do is be uncomfortable the least you could do is feel a little guilty. The Absolutely. least you could do is acknowledge the fuckery of your ancestors because mm-hmm. our people are out here dying. Absolutely. And the what's happening to you now in this state of wokeness is discomfort. I don't care. I be talking to my white friends crazy. I'm like, well, you know how y'all people be acting. <laughs> and, they're like, and they're like, shut up. I can't believe you said that. And I'm like, <laughs> why, why wouldn't I say, like, let's just be honest. Let's just, let's be honest. And, yes. and the more we can have these conversations, I think yes. we can get to a better place. It's never going to be perfect. But yes. what I'm like, what the minute you were like, he was like, I feel guilty. I was like, yeah, you should, you should feel guilty. Absolutely. Why wouldn't you feel guilty? If my ancestors right. did that, I would feel terrible. And I would acknowledge it and move forward. Like what? That's it. Yeah. That's it's it. like, it's like guilt. And then it's also like, I feel like some people don't want to acknowledge things because they're like afraid to lose things. Like I'm uh-huh. thinking about, and I just found this out, like Jim Beam, right? That's a popular whiskey, but that was innovated by yeah. an enslaved right. person. Absolutely. And like to this day, the Jim Beam family is making bread off of that innovation. And like, I think the most they've done is they've paid for, you know, the enslaved man's like descendants to go to college. But like, that's not enough when you guys oh, have, have no. money Absolutely off, of this, off of this, you know. Mm. And then I just wanted to share a quick anecdote um, that I was talking to my friend and she, you know, went to this fancy business school, Columbia, and they went on some trip uh, down south and visited a plantation. And I think she was like one of two black people on the trip. Um, And the woman's describing this and she's like, yeah, the farmers, the farmer, she kept referring to them as farmers. And my friend raised her hand. She was like, do you mean like the enslaved like people? Like they weren't getting paid to do this. The woman kept talking, like saying that they were farmers. (laughs) Like that is preposterous. I'm like, what? That's, that's, oh my God, this, this is just, I'm just, my heart is all happy here and engaging in this conversation because this is the type of conversation and depth that we need as a society in order to even begin to think about healing. Honest dialogue, that feeling, that heart, feel, when you can touch the heart and I've um I'm going to go to the educational setting. I, I taught, of course, law and racism or in, in other schools, racism and law. And law students, uh, black and white, socially constructed differently students, not even believe in racial profiling until hearing a 
classmate stand up and say, this happened to me. This is what I felt. This is what I went through. And then afterward to see in the room that moment, have that moment where they're like, wow, I never believed it. Why? Because as you said, Michelle, taught one way. You only see things one way. You know, you can get in a car and drive wherever you want, freely, down woods, whatever. Everything's fine. You probably will get back. But there are other concerns based on socially constructed people that you will never know unless you have a dialogue to be able to understand what they're going through and what and how we can impact change. And I think that's where we're going to. How do you even know that laws need to be changed unless you empathize with that other person that's in that particular situation? And you got to do that by understanding the necessity of dialogue. Um, I, I'm just, I mean, this is a needed conversation on a, on a broader level. And I just wanted to make one uh, statement about the public art. Um, and I thought about this um, a while ago in that, and I'm from Louisiana. So we call it, we call it, I, you young people call it something else. I'm gonna just say it since I'm on this podcast. Coach, y'all call it coach. Anyway, <laughs> we called it private, our private. It's your private. We call it's your private down there. You're private, right? I grew up hearing it's your private. And as I have grown, I understand that black and brown women's private has never been private. It's always been public. It's always been subjected to the public stare, the public analysis. And so Michelle, for your project and projects like yours and artists who are raising the level of awareness through their visual representation, it is only right and fair that our privates are public, in the public art, in the public atmosphere, to say you will revere what happened because you'll remember it every time you walk by it, every time you see it, every time you say these names, it'll be a connection made between what happened to those past bodies to the present bodies. So when we say her name, we're, we're also acknowledging her name from the past who made gynecology a reality. And that connection has to be made to all people. And so I think uh, having these moments of, of, uh, of where, where creatives like yourself are saying, we're gonna build this and we're gonna make people uh, have a, a, a time and a space that they can honor and understand and, and, and deconstruct the prior telling of this story, like the prior telling of the story is just happened. It happened so long ago, let's move forward. No, maternal mortality exists because of the racial basis of a racial, racial belief of pain tolerance. Pain tolerance came from the US enslavement. So you cannot not look to that past and not deal with the reality. So I just think having our, making our privates public and public art is, is what needs to be done. Mm, what a beautiful way to, That's good. Yeah. yeah, to think about that. I wanted to um, close with talking a little bit about legacy, right? So we're talking about the power that his knowledge of history can have on white folks to make a change, to do better, as you said, Michelle. Um, but I think, and I would say like Chelsea Sade and I all have been like, 
trying to just get more informed about Black history. Um, I remember Shade was doing this like challenge with um, Girls Trek um, to read about a different Black woman in civil rights, in the civil rights movement um, every day. Um, and I think the more we know, the more it informs our sense of self, our sense of self-worth. Um, it creates this like connectivity. It makes me feel grounded the more I know about Black history, the more I know about my family's history. Um, so I wanted first, Michelle, if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about your family's history, Aurelia Browder. Um, and I, I just think it's, it's so interesting and so cool to have you here. Um, if you could tell us a bit about her story. Thank you for that. Um, Aurelia Browder, it's funny that you should ask, just on yesterday, we honored her. Uh, it's the 65th anniversary of the Montgomery bus boycott. And my auntie, my great aunt was arrested back in 1948. And um, she was a bootstrappy, they, they, they labeled her, stereotyped her as being bootstrappy. She was a tall, dark skinned woman. She had a gray patch in her head by the time she uh, passed away. Um, she was resilient. She was an entrepreneur. She uh, owned several vehicles. She owned like six vehicles, um, raised six children on her own, um, went back to school at the age of 33 years old. Um, but she was arrested in 1948 for not giving up her seat to a white couple, you know? And so she um, was just very resilient. Like, you know, so you don't want to give up your seat, but she was arrested like over five times. So that wasn't the first time uh, that she challenged the law, but she just decided that she was gonna buy her own vehicles to get where she needed to go. But then when it came time for the Montgomery bus boycott, she leased all of her vehicles out to people who needed jobs. And those people took her vehicles that she leased out. She was a dynamic, um, just this awesome creative. She was also a doula and she was a seamstress, but she took her vehicles and leased them out uh, to various people and cab companies so that they can help with the Montgomery bus boycott. And uh, in the end, she became the lead plaintiff of Browder versus Gale. And the way that Fred Gray, which was the attorney for Rosa Parks and those that were arrested, he said, you know, I used her because she was articulate. But if you go back and look at some of the uh, court cases and when they, they would ask her questions in, you know, during the court case, she was very flippant. <laughs> she was like, why are you asking me the same time, you know, the same question three different times? You know what I'm saying? You could almost hear her voice. Um, just an amazing woman. And she was one of the mothers of the civil rights movement that nobody wants to talk about. So yesterday we honored one of my students, um, who's been with me, working with me in, in tourism. I teach young people how to give tours and we honored him with a thousand dollar scholarship because he wants to go to Berkeley. Well, in, in Aurelia's honor, who went back to school at the age of 33 years and earned her doctorate at Alabama State University, you know, we thought, you know, we we're compelled to, um, to help more and more students uh, go to school because right now, you know, where, where's the money going to come from unless the community comes together? So Aurelia was definitely a community um, woman. And back in the day, um, in, in rearing multiple children, it was customary for some of the children to go off with other brothers and sisters. They would split the children up. Am I right, Deliso? You know the story how they will yeah. send children. It happened even in my father, my father's family where, you know, all of the siblings, they all didn't grow up together. Like an aunt would take one or a grandmother. And so that happened within her family as well. She 
uh, but she still raised them, you know, and she did that because she didn't want her sons to go off to Vietnam to be murdered, right? So she would keep one son at home and then the other, when, they, when the military came looking for them, you know, well, they're not in the household, they're, you know. So she was a very, very um, innovative woman, Aurelius. Uh, and the lead place is Browder versus Gale. Um, but, you know, we have to look very closely at the history as it relates to colorism. Dark-skinned woman. She didn't have the look of Rosa Parks. Rosa was very um, outstanding woman, meek on the surface, but you know, she was a beast because she was teaching young people how to go in you know, with the children's crusade. So, um, and I don't want to veer off on Rosa because I love Rosa, but Aurelia was just one of those women that they said she was too boo-strict. Her, her demeanor was too, her stature, she was too proud. You know, she had to have a, a certain um, stature about herself in order to be deemed a mother of the civil rights movement. And she didn't, she wouldn't kowtow that, to that. She was like, no, too strong for that. So that's my auntie, Aurelia Browder. Damn. Wow. Yeah. It's also like that story makes me, you know, cause that's your, you can, you can trace that back. I think sometimes when we think about these things, it feels like it's so long ago, right? Like my boyfriend yeah, just yeah. told me that Joe Biden was born a year after Emmett Till. Like it's it's not that long ago, Completely right? <laughs> yeah. But like you feel like at least when I was learning, it felt like oh that was just like so far in the past. But it's really not. You reach your arm back, and it yes. was right there. Yes. And that's what <laughs> and that's what George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and all these names that are, all these things that are happening. It's just like going to be right there. And mm -hmm. unless we have these honest dialogues. And, and, and recommendations of what to do next, next steps, it will be all for nothing, you know? Yeah. We have to make it uh, count. We have to make it count. And I think, and, and I'm just, you got, what we're talking about now is just so important in making it count because this is gonna get, this dialogue is gonna get to someone and they're gonna tell someone and it's gonna go and it's gonna reach someone. And, and that's going to spur the type of uh, response that we need right now. We're in need of responses. You know, we, we are in need of action. And so I'm just, I'm just in awe, you know, and I didn't know that story. I've seen the case. I've seen the name Browder, but I didn't know the background. And that's what's so important about context. Thank yeah. you. And can I just say, you all have heard of Khalif Browder. It's my favorite. Oh, wow. So I come from a long lineage of fighters. As a matter of fact, I talked to his brother, Akeem, who has the Browder, Khalif Browder Foundation, um, trying to get him in to help us with this project. Uh, and when you talk about legacy, you know, you three women, you have a legacy right here, Black Girls Texting. That's a legacy. Like, you, you know, you're in a different, um, you're in a different time frame and in a different bracket. You're much old, you know, you're wiser than our yes. generation. Um, but we're looking for women like you all to elevate those voices through whatever communications that you have. And with the legacy, we're starting, we're raising money for this monument in a different way, right? I was told, oh, you need to go speak to, you know, with the Mellon Foundation to send me over here or Open Society to send me here. Okay, you know what? Let's stop. I know there's got to be 5,000 women out there or people, everybody got a mama. You got here somehow. So why don't you honor your mother? 
How do you honor her? Well, how about purchasing a brick that has her name on it or some woman or black woman, whether it's, um, uh, whether it's uh, what's the lady's name, the, the creative woman, her name was Kat. She did the, the cat, what was her name? Um, the perk, I know y'all may be a little too young for this. Eartha oh, Kitt. Oh, Eartha Kitt. You remember Eartha Kitt? <laughs> You're like yeah. the cat. I was like, Eartha Kitt? <laughs> I was thinking of the movies. I know this. <laughs> right? So this monument, like this public art, there's going to be bricks that hold up the art that elevates her with the names of women, just ordinary women or women who, the, the Eartha Kitts, the people who, Eartha Kitt was one who was in love with Harry Belafonte. Y'all know this story? No. She was in love with Harry Belafonte, yeah. girl. She, <laughs> but Harry Belafonte didn't want nothing to do with it, you know. But um, but she was amazing. These women, like Eartha Kitt, she was a very strong civil rights uh, supporter. I don't know if y'all know this, but she lost her a lot of her prestige. She had to move off to, I think it was France, in order to live a life that we all wish we could live without, you know, biases or whatnot. But she put her career on the line because of human and civil rights. She was a star. She was here in Montgomery for the Selma and Montgomery March. People don't know that. So we want to elevate those voices as well with this public art to have names of women, whether it's Don Wooten. Y'all know Don Wooten who just blew the whistle on the government for what they're doing to these children on the board or to the women with these forced um, sterilizations yeah. of women on the border with these immigrant women. So it's like, you know, that's what we're looking for. The Sabrina Fultons of the world, you know, who lost her son, Trayvon, that mother. And just, you all are mothers. You don't know it yet, but you are in terms of you're elevating. Giving, you're giving birth to another generation right now. Absolutely. Right now. And Absolutely. so that's that's just so, it, it's just, it's, it's, it's inspiring to me. Yeah. Because you, you, you're, you are where you are, but you understand your responsibility. And mm -hmm. I know the ancestors are just like smiling, like, yeah. Look, like, especially, can I just say this, Glenn? Especially with Glenn, because when you were on my tour, what did we hit? That did was crazy. I, I was like, yo, something's happening here, okay? We were on our way to go to um, MLK's barbershop, having just yeah. a lovely day, driving along, and we were going to go see the first White House of the Confederacy. And in front of there, they were having a Civil War reenactment these women in these big hoop skirts, men holding muskets, this whole creepy thing. And then across the street in front of, what building was that that's across the street where those men were? That's the, the governor's mansion or the, the yeah, the state house. The state house. These, um, these like men carrying Confederate flags and, and like picketing for their right to bear arms. And both of these things were happening across that's the street from each other. It was like history informing the present and also people can't let go of history um, and it's all happening concurrently. It, I was mind blown. Yeah, yeah. who's telling our story, right? <laughs> right. And our story? Hold on, hold on now. Cause Glenn was on that tour and everybody, Glenn, am I right by saying we, there was a hush that fell over. We were yeah. just like, yeah. I didn't even know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, I was like, yeah, you, you were like, well, you could not have planned that. You could not have planned that as a part of the tour. Like, and at twelve o two, I will have right, right, the Confederates <laughs> pop out. Yes, 
I, but you I, wrote about it in the it National did. Geographic. So that's what I'm talking about. Like, yeah. you know, you may not be a creative in the arts and, and creating, you know, monuments or, or things like that, but you wrote about that. And girl, yeah. let me tell you, I flip to that page every time when people are on it, this really happened and a black girl wrote about it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so yeah, you all are awesome. Black girls texting y'all on the bomb.com. Continue what you're doing and getting the word out. Thank you so much. And I'm going to go on my soapbox really quickly about my obsession with um, ancestors. I always, we, we always talk about this. I think it's super important to honor your ancestors. And something else to consider is like, I believe in having altars, photos, some type of like remembrance of your ancestors. Like mm-hmm. these women can be there on your altars. You can speak to these women and we should speak to these women. We should say their names on a daily basis. And mm-hmm. I'm just really excited that I learned about them so that now when I go and I give my little water and I say, yes, and I say what I say in the morning or in the evening, I'm going to speak to these women as well, because they're a part of our history. And they're like, I honestly, part of us, they should, they should be in like every gynecology office, like a little thing or something. I'm like, it should be happening. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. And as Michelle said, we're part of, it's a movement. It is happening. The National Medical Association, the, the uh, American Medical Association, their organizations and their people who are aware that we have to make good on this and this is the time to do it. So mm-hmm. I'm just glad to be a part of this relevant moment of uh, individuals saying, "Let's, what can we do instead yeah. of that was the past and let's leave it there. So yes, and thank yeah. you so much for the reverence of the ancestors. I was, t- t- my, this is my grandma, this is my grandma, Gertrude. And I oh. quote her and I cite her because uh, one of the most, and I cite her as like one of the most profound thinkers I know. And I tell people she has a GMA for those of you who are into degrees, it's called grandma. That's what she got. And that's what she did for oh. me. And so it's to know that we are here <laughs> I'm like I got mine <laughs> to know that we're here Wait. in the moment ex- oh the shell she leaves again. she leaves again <laughs> got going get it grandma's <laughs> I'll pull up a pick <laughs> yeah to know that to know that we are <laughs> moment right now yes it's phenomenal it is it's 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 just phenomenal. It's just to know that we're the ones we waited for, that they we're the ones they prayed for, right? And and that that's an awesome responsibility. So black girls texted, got me doing a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I fucking love black women. Me like, too, girl. Y'all right now. It's just everything. I'm getting my whole life. Yes. Um, Michelle, before we go, can you just tell our listeners where they can find out more about the project and how they can um, contribute? Yes, thank you. Uh, you can go to Anarcha Lucy Betsy. Can we all do that together on the count of three? One, two, three, let's go. Anarcha Lucy and Betsy dot org and that's B-E-T-S-E-Y dot org. Anarcha Lucy and Betsy dot org. We're right now grassroots campaign. We do have some donors that are going to be supporting us, but we want people like you. Um, if you have $175, if you have $45, buy a t-shirt or a hoodie. If you want to um, have your your ancestor's name engrafted on stone or on a brick, 
there's you can go there and do that as well. It's 100% of the proceeds will go towards the erection of these women and to call their names. So I hope you that heed the call. Use your love craft and go online yeah. and get that. I got to watch it. Yes. Yes, you have yes. to watch it. Mhm. Thank you both so so much for your time for all that you do. Um this has been wonderful. We appreciate Thank you. you. Thank you. So and you know you're a doula, right? Did I, I? Each one of you are my doulas. Yes. Can you tell us about the that like that name that you I'm like, bestowed upon us yeah, <laughs> and the women so in the, the project? Doulas, yeah. Well, the doulas are you know these women that would help give childbirth or help you through childbirth. It was there they were supporters of women going through, um, and it comes back from Africa because dates all the way back to our African uh, roots that women traditionally had females to come in and to help them, you know, as support to push and to none of the stuff that we have now in terms of this medical, uh, this European way that we give birth, you know, that women used to squat, they would sit and the babies would come out, but now they have you laying up on a gurney. So Deliso, you know about this, but um, yeah, so a doula. So we asked that um, we have 15 women that we reached out to, to be doulas first, to help support us as we give birth to these three women. So you all are our support. So Black Girls Texas, y'all need a name. Y'all got a brick with your name on it. So I'm talking about. I mean, oh my I'd God. be very down for that. Well, oh we'll my God. Yeah, we are. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow. So That's... I will have your name on a brick, Black Girls Texas, uh... around the foundation that she will stand on. That's what I'm saying. So if you want to do one for your mom, uh, for your sister, for a loved one that you've lost, um, or just want to honor a black woman, that would be the way to do it. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you so Thank much. You Thank special. you so much. Wow. Thank you. Uh, right. I can't wait for our listeners to hear this. Yeah, I know. All right, y'all. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Um, that was amazing. I loved hearing from those ladies. And now it's time to get back to the mess with our what would you do this week? Um, this was actually forwarded to us. So this woman wrote this letter or whatever to um, the cut, actually, and then a friend sent it over for us to put our spin and our take on it. Um, So it says, Dear Charlotte, I guess Charlotte is whoever is replying to this letter from the cut. Um, My fiance and I live together. I own the house. It's paid off. And he pays me $500 a month. The bills for the house are very low and come out to about $300 a month. So essentially, he's paying $200 in rent. He thinks that once we get married, he shouldn't have to pay rent anymore and that we should split the bills evenly. He's also stressed because he has accrued some debt, about 15000 since we've been together, which is partly why he thinks he should pay less. This frustrates me because I work so hard to pay off my house early, and I feel like he's taking advantage of that. He has made less money than me the entire seven years we've been together, and it's been a constant issue in our relationship. I think that the man should contribute a bit more than the woman. I'd love to split everything and own a house together, but he's nowhere near being able to do that. What's the fair option once you are married? Mm. Woo! Yikes, Chelsea, you look ready. I don't know what Charlotte gonna say to that. I look ready. Um, I feel like I would just say like if that's your partner and there is debt that they've accrued, and the home is paid off, then I don't see why you don't give him a minute to pay off his debt, and then we get back to the 
I that's know. fair. I, I think that's fair. Like an understanding that that's where he is in his life right now. And he'll be better off later if he takes the time to like handle his debt situation. Right. Yeah, And like the longer you have debt, it's like the more it grows. So just yeah. get rid of it. Right. Yeah. I do think like if there's an imbalance of what people are bringing to the table in your relationship over time, it can create like a lot of tension. So like maybe later on, he finds something to invest in that's his like primarily his that he's paying into and then it says then you both have like an asset or something like I don't know what that would be I don't know shit about adult shit really but like <laughs> can he buy a car for both of y'all or something or like no, not a car in, or something else you know what I mean like a, I don't know maybe an it's additional property yeah or something appreciates as soon as it leaves the lot but no uh, I have heard that before um I think I was very put off by this, but Chelsea bring up a good point. I was put off by this because I'm like, well, she paid the house off and now you're just coming into the situation thinking you can live for free. Two perspectives on it, right? What you just said in that, like, he should get out of debt because exactly there's interest on that debt. So it's just going to accrue more over time. But also if this were the reverse and it was a woman moving in with a man, I probably would not be, as harsh yeah um I think that yeah I guess she can kind of like let him slide I mean for one it's not even that much bread to be honest but I think she should definitely let him slide on the 200 or 500 whatever and let him like pay his stuff off but he definitely needs to pay her back in some way I don't know what her expectation would be I would like a very nice gift Pay her back what for the time that that she waited for him to get his money together or for being able to live in the house because I don't think no gift can for compensate for me living in a in a house for free. <laughs> no, no, that's not it. That's not enough. <laughs> that is free ninety nine. No, for me, if this was me, I would be like, all right, fine, get your fifteen k out of debt, get your shit together, and I need a nice big jewelry piece or a net I need something I need you to pay me back because you living up in my house that I paid off and I was responsible I had my shit together so I would like a nice gift or if you want to be financially responsible yes he can like buy some stocks or something and it's for her it's gifted to her or something that's that, a like, nice idea shows his appreciation of her but I am um a consumer so I want uh flashy some things items. yes and you know what else I'm thinking oh go ahead Chelsea no, I mean, this is just, I keep seeing this kind of conversation on Clubhouse too. It's like, and you brought it up, Shade, if the roles were reversed. I'm like, is it intrinsically going to start or like, like, is it automatically going to start an issue when a guy makes significantly less than a woman? Like, is that just like cross-cultural, cross, I don't know, because it seems Ooh. like it's always a conversation. I think it, yeah, I think it always, not always, it doesn't have to be tense but it can be um I was looking at somebody on mm, I don't know how, how I bring this up <laughs> you already brought it up so go <laughs> I was looking at this woman on Instagram who's like very successful or whatever and she was like shopping with her husband for furniture and I'm not really sure what the husband does and they were in this like expensive looking furniture store expensive looking home and I was kind of wondering like, interest. I wonder how they make this work. Like, I wondered if even going gro like furniture shopping with your partner and you want to get the like really expensive piece, 
do you just say, well, I'll just swipe it. And does that, is that awkward? Is that like chipping away at the man's like sense of self in some way or if, or no, or, or, or can he just like take it with pride or whatever and be like, yo, my girl got it. She's so successful. And we're about to go sit up on this nice couch in our house. Because as you said, if it were, if the roles were reversed, I know me, I would have no problem sitting on the couch that my man bought (laughs) with my feet up. (laughs) Right. um but damn I was gonna say oh yeah something something I'm thinking about with this like housing thing though right like why did you buy this house did you buy it for yourself is there is there space for somebody else in there did you imagine you were going to raise a family there or like build a life in there and if you were then I don't think then that there's a reason to like feel a way that your partner is not living with you like if I had a home, I think there's there's more to this story. I think that <laughs> he, she said he's she's been with him for seven years, and it seems like this man has not been. The, she's tired the, of him. The finances are not great, and and I think that's really what the issue is. And I think that's very important. That has to be acknowledged. They have to have that conversation. I think before she walks down any aisles and does any of that, because what my mother will be quick to inform you on with marriage legal all that is you better have your fucking ducks in a row uh t's crossed eyes dotted because people could take your motherfucking money <laughs> and we see it happen a lot again that role reversal but i definitely just had a conversation with my parents about the kind of guy that i would want to be with that i'm looking for and i was like he has to make what i make or more if i'm just being honest that's what i want yeah. that, those are my expectations like That's now real. will I have rendezvous and things? Yes. But if I'm thinking con- seriously about a partner, someone that I want for me, the financials, they have to be where I'm at. That's Equally just yoked. As yeah. they- but if this person, do we know her race? It sounds white to me. She was giving me black girl. <laughs> because I think oh. that's different, right? Because I think... I think if you're looking at, so I was in a room and it was like, you know, women, something about women who only want to date six figure niggas. niggas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I'm, I'm messing up on the numbers. Right. So, cause I'm not an encyclopedia, but they were talking about it and look it up. Um, the amount of black people making that is significantly smaller. Like the pool is significantly smaller than like white people. Right. And then when you break it down by gender, women are slowly, you know, really surpassing men in terms of like black people. Um, So I just think, I don't know, white supremacy, man, it's done a number. I, I just think that we can't necessarily hold black men to the same starting standards. Do you know what I mean? So like, we have to kind of be, I don't know. Cause I also don't believe in like falling in love with someone's potential, but like their characteristics. So like, is this person ambitious? Is this person the type of person to try to go get it? Is this, you know what I'm saying? They might mm-hmm. not have it at the start, mm-hmm. but like, are they in that trajectory? Does that yeah. make sense? Mm-hmm. I think that makes mm-hmm. perfect sense. Absolutely. Especially if you want a black man. Now, if you want like a white guy, he has family money, he, has had a much easier road, then that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me in defining what I want, 
and the financials that's associated to the things that I want to be able to do. And I'm not paying for you to come with me to Tokyo and stay at the hotel that I want to stay at and eat at the restaurants I want to eat at. So we gonna have to, we gonna, however you get there, you get there. I'm, listen, scammer. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, but it's kind of even, that's like a logistical type of thing, Shade, right? It's just like logistically, this kind of makes sense. It also just like, it protects you from having to get into those awkward moments. If y'all are already just here at the same page that there's like equivalence with finances, then yeah. There's not like that awkwardness. I, would, I used to be just terrible. Pool gets really small. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Which is, which is fine. But I was definitely terrible with um, the young man that I was with before when he was, I actually don't know if he was making more money than I was at the time, but he was paying for everything. And then eventually I was like, okay, I know I'm making more money than you are. So I'm not going to be on some like, you need to buy all of my meals. So I was like, you cop a meal, I'll cop a meal. You cop of this, I'll cop of that. That I'm fine with. But it's not going to be me, 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 me. Mm-mm. That's balance and partnership, right? Yes, yes, yes. Good luck, sis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen. All right. I was just going to say, my, man, my man's not here. He's, he's over there. He's abroad. Somewhere. He's abroad. <laughs> he's abroad. Who knows? He's making euros and yen. <laughs> no she did not so i hope i don't forget that because i love that as a phrase <laughs> my man is somewhere euros making euros, euros and yen i'm gonna say that all the fucking time he's abroad he's not here <laughs> yo do that next time you go to a family function and they say where's your man at oh he's abroad wait he's abroad really do that <laughs> he's abroad yes Yes. That is so annoying. It's yes. quite annoying. Chelsea, you are Caribbean. You do not, well, you are in a relationship, but you don't yeah. get the. I get where's the ring. Correct. Oh, okay. Yes. So it's the equivalent. Same <laughs> <Just> shit, yeah. <laughs> but just like. Come down. Damn, can I just get my shit together first? Really? Y'all want me to be having a boyfriend? Can he go secure the bag in Japan first? <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. He's busy. He don't got he hasn't met me yet. <laughs> exactly. We're both right. working on ourselves. We're both securing bags. God damn, right. we're going to therapy. Help. We I'm we breaking down these generational curses and shit. <laughs> wow. That put that in your back pocket, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> for the holidays are coming around. I hope you're doing Zoom Christmases, but still, they're gonna be dragging you on a Zoom. <laughs> oh my god. Words of wisdom from Auntie Shade. That's a very that's a very tanty rant. Tanty <laughs> Okay, y'all. Tanty This has been it's another been episode that. of the Black Girls Texting. Yes. So go in your group chat today and send a text. <laughs> what kind of text? Just any text. Of something you learned today, share the names that we spoke about. Yeah. Put it in your group chat. Start a conversation. Hello. I love that. Hello. Yes. Ashe. Shot is frozen on my screen. Like. <laughs> my- <laughs> oh, now you are. <laughs> oh, Lord. All right. Bye, y'all. Bye-bye. Bye bye.
Thanks again for listening to Black Girls Texting. Make sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you listen and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Oh, and don't forget to text every group chat you're in and tell them to check us out. Follow your girls at Black Girls Texting and we'll see you next week. Bye.